This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you need to know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal's always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, journal.com, HavocJournal.com. Oh man, this week's episode, what a blast. I'll be honest with you. I have a feeling if I had to guess, I think you guys are either going to really love or I don't know, could you hate this episode? I don't think you could hate this episode, but maybe feel misled by this episode. Um, my guest this week was Ty McFarlane. And uh, Ty is so many things. Uh, he's been an actor, musician, and maybe best known as the 34th Ringmaster for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Ty was just so first off is the first time I've really talked in depth to a circus performer and man did I have some questions and I'll be honest with you he served 13 years in the National Guard uh, as an officer he comes from a military family his sisters are all in the military his father was career army then went into law enforcement um, was one of the first black state troopers in the state of South Carolina there's so much rich history to talk about with Ty when it comes to the military. I didn't do it. I'm sorry. I shat the bet on it. And here's why. It's because I was so excited to talk circus stuff with him. We talk circus a lot. And then I was, at the end, I'm like, God damn, I haven't, I should have done this in chronological order. We should have gotten to the military stuff by now. I didn't want to impose more on Ty's day. So I didn't, I would love to have him back on and talk more. But anyway, I think what you guys will hear, it's definitely different from our other episodes. I mean, we go really into what circus life is like. And hey, that's kind of freaking cool anyway, right? And for Havoc, and we don't always have to talk about military, do we? Anyway, I would love to talk more about his dad, his dad's law enforcement career, um, the military, you know, all that stuff. But that aside, Ty's career has been so goddamn interesting. It is hard to avert my gaze from that and to stay focused on doing my due diligence with the military part. 
Ty is definitely an incredibly unique veteran, though. And uh, I think you guys will really enjoy him. Uh, such an interesting guy with such a great um, outlook on life and on some of the major inflection points in his life. I think you guys really enjoy the hell out of this episode. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Ty McFarland's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Ty. Hey, thank you for having me, Chris. Glad uh, to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here, too. It's a lot easier for you to be in South Carolina and us to do this than it is to do stuff in person with you in South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> I'm true. so bummed. I'm so bummed about that, man. I was like, oh, God, we'll figure out something in the future. I, I got to figure out a way to get you up here. Um, dude, well, listen, this is a first for us. This is the first time we've ever had circus folk on the show. This is a whole new area of artistic media that I've not even ventured into. So let me start with the obvious question. Why? Why did you get into theater or into the circus? Actually, uh, you know, I, I started off in theater. So why did I get into the circus? Um, I have to tell you, Chris, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't as if I was looking to join a circus. Um, after my, my military career or my stint in the military, and even, even through the military, I, I'd always had a passion for performing. You know, I was always the one uh, calling cadences. So I always had this passion for performing. So um, I decided to, uh, to decline my commission and pursue some of my life's passions. So I, um, I started off in, in the music business <clears throat> and uh, ended up, ended up getting uh, a major record deal with uh, a label called Critique Records. Um, Paul McCartney was on that label. And um, during wait, the time... When, sorry, wait, when was this? Were you in high school, oh, co- like was, college age? No, this was... Yeah, this was uh, college. This was college. Wow. Yeah. And, and what was it? What were you... What, what kind of music were you doing? I was R&B. Okay. Uh, yeah, R&B. I was the lead singer for, for a group called Brother Man. And... Um, and you know it was pretty pretty hot. We had a song called "Black Girl," which was our our, our first single. And uh, Critique Records they 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 decided to uh, to to put out a single, or to at least give us a shot at a single deal. But I was going through some issues with uh, with my producer at the time. Uh, he was he was going through some some marital issues, and and we couldn't keep him in the studio. And uh, we ended up losing the deal. And uh, we we had another commitment from a another record label electra yeah i remember Electra. and uh, yeah electra yeah. and uh same thing happened man we just we we could not keep our our producer in the um, in the studio and so we ended up losing that deal and so someone uh someone suggested to me hey since you love music so much and singing why don't you go and 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 perform in, in local theater here in columbia south carolina so Wait, hold, I, hold, I went, Ty, Ty, hold on a sec. I got to interrupt. Hold, sure, hold on a sec. Sure, sure. What was going on with these producers? When you say you couldn't keep them in the studio, what does that mean? I mean, yeah. I mean get into it as much or as little as you want, obviously. But I mean, sure, that sure. just sounds crazy. It, well, you know, love is a crazy thing. So the, uh, and I, I won't, won't say his name, but this particular uh, producer, he was going through his, his second divorce. And, um, and we just couldn't. We just couldn't get him to focus in the in the uh, in the studio as we needed him to. 
not enough, not enough to, uh, you know, to keep the record company, you know, um, in our corner. So we ended up losing the deal. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's as much as I'd want to get into that part of it, but I mean, we're still good friends to this day, but, uh, it, it was just one of those, those things that happened, man. But, but that so, happened again at Electra. It happened twice. <laughs> it, did. it did. Yes. It did. Not with this. And this wasn't the same producer, was it? Same, same guy. Oh God. Oh, jeez. Oh man. Oh yeah. God, that's hard. I mean, so sorry, just, just to dwell on this for a second, you don't have to get into details, but I'd love sure, to know sure. for you. Uh-huh. How did how did you take that? I mean, did you go? That is a sign from God that I'm not supposed to be doing this, or did you go? Uh, you is, know, were you frustrated? Were you angry? Like, I mean, that's got to be all pretty... of the all of the above, all of the above. Yeah. And 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 looking back on it, I I believe that it had been a sign because um, because I, I have several friends who've gone on to be you know uh, pretty pretty famous in the in the music industry and um, and and. I can look at their lives now and 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 be thankful that that it hadn't happened to me. So Why? I was frustrated what, at the what, time. What, Why? What would, well, yeah, what would have been dangerous about that for you? Well, uh, I can only compare it to what I do now, Chris. Okay, you know, in the circus, sure. I am not. I am not so big of a of a celebrity that I can't have a life, and I, I just don't. I just looking back on my life now, I, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't mm. want not being able to walk down the street and, and have to, um, you know, have to cater to, to every, every person, you know, wanting an autograph, wanting, you know, a picture. And so I, as I said, I have mm. friends right now who were, you know, in their own right, yeah, relatively famous. And, uh, and I'm just in a different headspace now. I'm, I'm just glad that it, it didn't happen. Uh, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a really positive reason. Wow. So anyway, so I interrupted you. So so when that sure. craps out, now suddenly mm-hmm. you pivot to theater? Yeah, I pivoted to theater and um and musical theater uh specifically. Sure. So I started off in uh in local theater here in Columbia, South Carolina. And what ended up happening is I love the acting part of it so much that I kind of stuck with the acting. And so I ended up, uh, I ended up getting an agent uh, here in South Carolina, and um, ended up landing a couple of uh, a couple of spots on television. So uh, there was a there was a television show a few years ago called Dawson's Creek, and of um, yeah. Ended, yeah, ended up playing a couple of spots on that show. Um, another show was I was Charlie in a show called One Tree Hill. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. He played a played a couple of shows, Army Wives, uh, Drop Dead Diva. So I, I love the acting side of it. I just kind of stuck with the acting. But once again, um, wasn't so big of an actor that that people would recognize me every time I, I left my home. And you know, and and uh, and I'm I'm still very happy happy about that. Were, but, were these jobs finding you in South Carolina, or were you going to New York and L.A. to audition? They were finding me in South Carolina. Wow, believe it or not, man. Were they all yeah, being shot was, there? Is that why? Um, Wilmington is is like third in the nation in terms of film production. So Wilmington, North Carolina, yes. Many, uh-huh. many television shows and, and films uh, uh, come out of Wilmington. So I didn't have to go very far to, to be uh, a relatively sizable fish here in, in this sure. small pond. 
Sure. No, I had been asked to come out to LA and to New York to do some other things, but, um, you know, I declined the offer because once again, I, I, I started to, to move into a different headspace. I just didn't, I didn't want the, the fame. I didn't want the, you know, the, the, the fortune like I thought I did. And, um, and, uh, long story short, uh, I would, after doing a, a show here in Columbia, South Carolina, Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, there was a young lady that I ended up working with. She was in professional theater. She had flown out to uh, to Rock Island, Illinois. And it turns out she was doing a production out there and they needed a tenor. And she uh, immediately contacted me and said, hey, we need a tenor. Can you fly out? And, uh, and it was that uh, was my first opportunity in professional theater. So I went out to Rock Island, Illinois and and performed uh, a show out there called Showboat. Yeah, sure. And the uh, the director there, uh, he he contacted me. I had flown back into Columbia, South Carolina after that show had had completed, had, had finished. And uh, he he called me. He said, "Hey, Ty." He said, um, "Have you ever thought about being in the circus?" I said, "No, I've never. I've, I've never even gone to the circus before in my life, not even as a child." And he really? said, Ringling Brothers, yeah, I've never gone to the circus before. <laughs> he said, Ringling Brothers is looking for a ringmaster. And he said, I think you would be a great ringmaster. And so um, he was able to get me an audition. Uh, Ringling Brothers had actually closed auditions. I was scheduled to be, uh, after, of course, he was able to uh, to schedule me an audition because the the director for that show. Phil McKinley, who's who's done some pretty pretty uh, pretty successful things in the past, uh, he was directing this show for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, mm-hmm. and Phil McKinley uh, was uh, was one of his students, his his uh, oh. his acting students in years past, and wow. he was able to contact Phil and say, "Hey, look, I have this guy. I think you guys should should see," and they said, "Well, we closed auditions, but if he can get down to Florida." tomorrow you know we'll give him a shot so long story short with the shirt on my back i drove to florida and um and uh, the rest is history i i ended up you know becoming the the 34th ringmaster in the history of ringland brothers and barnum and bailey circus okay so so there's a lot i want to dive into of granular details in this um let's work backwards from that moment what was the audition like how do they audition a ringmaster What's the, I, I don't I don't even know what they would ask you to do. Well, nor did I, Chris. Uh, <laughs> nor did I. I was I was because once again I, I I had no idea what a ringmaster did, but I was I was told beforehand to to at least take several sheets of of music because they will they will have me to sing, and um, okay. The the unfortunate thing is when I'd flown in from Rock Island, Illinois, back to Columbia, South Carolina, and went to resume my my full-time job as a license examiner here in the state of South Carolina, the airlines lost my luggage and they lost all of my music. And needless to say, I, I needed to be in, in Florida the next day, no luggage, no music. So I was able to grab uh, a folder that I had sitting on my table and I knew had, I knew had some sheet music in there. I didn't know what it was. Took that with me. 
drove to Florida, shirt on my back with this folder. I had no idea what was in the folder. So one thing they had me to do was to, to sing a song. And then, uh, and then after the song, um, and by the way, the, the, <laughs> when I went to look into the folder, it was just the gigolo by David Lee Roth. And, uh, and I was able, I had the piano accompaniment. So I was able to hand that to the, the pianist and he was able to bang it out on the, on the, on the piano. And they loved it. They loved it. And uh, after, <laughs> wait, okay, hold, that, hold, hold a second. I hold a sec. Wait, so did I mean you knew the music? I mean, do you, so clearly you didn't rehearse anything specifically for this audition, rehearsed. right? Correct, correct. And uh, but I had you prepared the, the song in the past? I mean, you must have done it because you had the sheet music, just right? Just gigolo everywhere I go. I know. I I just knew the song from from having watched David Lee the Lee Roth on 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 uh, what was it, MTV at that time. And, uh, and so I was just able to follow along with the, with the, with the pianist and I, I just banged it out and, and, and they were like, wow. wow. And it just so happened that uh, that song was, was a song, at, at least from their, their perspective, that showed character. Mm. And, um, and that's what they were looking for. And then, and then of course, they had me to, uh, to use, use my, my speaking voice as if I were in, in uh, an arena of thousands of people. And how would I say this? Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, <laughs> and so after which, you know, I did my audition. Oh, by the way, when I'd flown back in from Rock Island, Illinois, I was, I was out there for about four months doing that gig. I had to take a leave of absence from my full-time job. And when I'd flown back in, uh, that was when I got the call from, from Denny, you know, asking if I could go to Florida, like on Thursday. And this was on a Wednesday and I was back at work and I asked my boss lady, I said, Hey, you know, will you allow for me to drive to Florida tomorrow? She said, no, you just got back. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to let you go. Well, anyway, I asked her again. She said, no. And then uh, you know, I, I prayed. I was doing a, uh, an examination. Of, I, was, I was giving someone an exam for a tractor trailer. And within three minutes of that prayer, my phone rang and said, and it was Denny. He said, hey, Ty, we were able to get you an audition. You just need to be in Florida tomorrow at one o'clock. And I said, okay. So I went to work that next day, Chris, and I clocked out. I clocked in and clocked out, drove to Florida. Uh, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. I was able to get there right at one o'clock, right at my audition. Like I said, with the shirt on my back, with that folder, that sheet music, there were, <laughs> there were 40 other people in that building, you know, that had flown in from Australia, from, from all over the world to audition for this gig. And, uh, and after my audition, you know, they, they said, Hey, are you going to be hanging around? I said, yeah, I don't have anywhere to go. I lost my job of 13 years, had a brand new baby, wife, didn't know what I was going to do. I left the building. And within five minutes of, of having left the building, my phone rang and, and it was Bill McKinley. He said, hey, Ty. He said, this is Phil. He said, are you, are you still in the area? I said, yeah, I, I literally just pulled out of the parking lot. He said, can you come back? And I said, sure. I'll just, I'll just turn around. I thought maybe I'd left something in the building. <laughs> when I when I parked, I got out of my car and and he met he met me outside. 
And he was on the phone. He said, yeah, he's here. He said, okay, bye-bye. He said, Ty, uh, Phil McKinley. He sh- I shook his hand. He said, just to let you know, the, the little guy that was at the end of the table, his name is Kenneth Feld. He owns Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. I just want you to know that he doesn't want to audition anyone else. He wants you to be his ringmaster. And I was just floored. And and he said, now, when we walk back in here, I just want you to follow me because he still plans to give these people some sort of an audition because people have paid thousands in, in airline fees to be there. And he said, but I just want you to walk behind me as if, you know, you're just coming back in. He said, but if if you want the gig, the gig is yours. And he said, I'm going to pull you to a separate room, neg- negotiate your contract, but we're going to run through these auditions. And uh, and he said, welcome aboard. And, and, and the rest is history. But I learned something. I learned something behind that. I cried all the way to Florida, by the way, because I, I, I knew that I was losing my job. But what I believe is uh, I believe that that uh, God or whatever, whatever our listeners serve or respond to. Hey, it's you what know, you believe. Not, it's your life. It's, what, <laughs> it's all it's good. What you believe it's what you, and, and, you know, and I don't I don't knock anyone for what they believe. But uh, but I absolutely believe in a higher power. Now, how we define that, I can't necessarily say. But what I do believe what I do believe is that we are required to jump off the cliff first mm-hmm. and believe that we mm-hmm. grow wings before we hit the mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. And from that, from that, I promise to never live my life in fear uh, again of going after some of the things that I, that I want. And that was the beginning of, of a, a new life for me. And, and, um, and, and if there's anything that I, that I go after, I, I go at it full tilt and, and, and make it happen for as much as I can, but never to live in fear again. I, That's I how I became the ringmaster. <laughs> it's a incredible story. And I'm not done with that story yet. Uh, there, there's so much in there. And, um, but I want to start with this. I don't want to make too much of what you just said, but I also don't want to brush off what I think could be a key point. Were you a different person by the time you arrived in Florida than you were when you left Columbia to start going down there? I was, but I didn't, I didn't know how different I, I had become. I was different because I I knew that I knew that I just, there was something telling me to turn around, go back to your, go back. Mm. You're losing everything. And, but something kept me going. And so there was a, there was a transition that, that was happening as I was, as I was crossing through Savannah and I was, Mm. I just kept driving. Um, I absolutely became a different person upon having, having gotten the job. What I was told after I negotiated my contract, of course, they waited until I negotiated the contract before they told me this. But they said, Ty, when you walked in the door, you had the job just by virtue of how you walked in. And I have to attribute that to my military because uh, you know, I always, I'd always learned in the military you know, to walk you know, a certain way. And my father, would, I come from a big military family. My father would, would always tell me, you know, take big, big strides when you walk and pull mm. your shoulders back. Mm. And they said, when you walked in, just by virtue of how you walked in, you had the job. But when you sang and when you announced for us, that sealed the deal for you. So I'm saying that, Chris, to say the, the, the path had already been 
prepared for me and had already been established. I just had to step into it. And I, it's analogous to a, a wide receiver and a quarterback. A quarterback doesn't throw the football to the wide receiver. The quarterback will throw the football where he believes the wide receiver is going to be. The wide receiver just has to go to where the ball is going to be to, to receive the ball. And so I'm saying that to say, I believe that if our, if our hearts are in the right place and we, and we, we put everything on the line and go after something, the universe will bring it to us. We just have to go towards it to receive it. That is, um, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love that how you put that. I love that, that analogy. I got to ask some more granular questions about this just to fully, I don't know, walk a mile in your shoes in that audition. Who were the other people that were at this audition? So obviously they closed auditions, but they'd opened it, given you a special spot, but I guess they'd also opened it for at least 40 other people that were there, right? For the same position. Correct. I mean, who, what did you notice? So I, I know from my old acting days, especially in LA, walking into an audition room and seeing 40 of you is, right. can be unnerving. <laughs> did you have that experience? Was it, were you looking at 40 of you or were you looking going, no, I am truly different, distinct from all these other folks. That is a great, great question. And the reason I say that's a great question is it's it's not like most acting auditions where, where they were profiling or looking for mm. uh, a guy who has a certain build, uh, African-American perhaps, or who could play Latino, um, you know, where all of the people going for that particular job look like me. No, mm. this was totally different. And the reason it was totally different is I'm only the, the second African-American ringmaster in the history of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, the, the first, um, the first African-American, uh, and he is the, the youngest ever. Um, the title goes to Jonathan Lee Iverson and he's actually a, a New York native as well. Mm. But, um, but I'm saying that to say, there were people in there from all walks of life, you know, um, and I didn't have much of an opportunity to speak to them because I got there right at my audition time. And uh, and I had an opportunity to look to see how many people were there. But no, uh, everyone, black, white, Asian, Canadian. What, what about the build you talked to? Because you talked about your bearing yes. going in. Did they because my sense of a ringmaster is probably everybody, no matter what their demographic is, should have that sort of presence in some way, shape or form. Did you, could you detect that in the brief time that you saw them or were they really looking for all different types? And you might have like this, you know, Dickensian Uriah Heap type, or you might have someone with a big <laughs> booming voice. I mean, like we, we, how, what was, what was the, was there a type that you could see or was it too difficult to tell? Well, it, it, Traditionally, the ringmaster had been known for being, you know, uh, a relatively large stature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, but everyone was sitting down, so it, it was difficult for mm -hmm. me to to to, to glean that okay. off the muscle. But um, but I I'd known that to be kind of what a ringmaster, uh, you know, traditionally possessed in terms of of. Of character, in terms of character, in terms of stature, but I couldn't really, I couldn't really glean that, or I couldn't really gotcha. discern that from from the number of people that were there. However, 
you know, Ringling Brothers is the longest running show on, on the planet. Uh, Ringling Brothers is older than American baseball. A lot uh. of people don't realize that. And I'm saying that to say when you when you're as big as Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, you you choose whomever you want to be a ringmaster. Yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the one of the the last ringmasters that we had to uh, to host the show before Ringling decided to shut down a few years ago was a female. Mm, so yeah. um, and they they completely broke the mold in terms of. Sure. Of that traditional ringmaster. Sure. Um, yeah, and so, uh, and then, and then the the Big Apple Circus, which is in New York City, um, they now have the, the the ringmaster hosting that show. Uh, he's a he's a small guy and huh. on America's Got Talent. He's a very talented guy, but you know he's I don't know how to to say this uh, correctly, but uh, uh, you yeah. know he's he's. He's the he's the short he's a small person. A small person. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very talented. He's an aerialist as well. So wow. Yeah. So so that that traditional ringmaster uh, ringmaster um, profile is is yeah. not necessarily uh, you know consistent across the board anymore. So I I, I got to ask about your expectations also going in. Did you know? I mean. You knew you had to sing. That's why you grabbed the sheet music. First off, is, I didn't realize that was a stipulation or that would be a requirement for a ringmaster audition. Are all ringmasters, is there a component that where they always want you to sing? Or or is it just to test out your voice and just see if you got the pipes to address an audience? Like, it, How standard is that to sing? Well, from from my understanding uh, of, of the history of ringmasters, it it had it, it, become a standard okay to have uh, a singing voice because uh, there were production numbers that needed to be sung the introduction of the show and what we call the uh the spec which is the uh which is halftime so to speak mm-hmm. so uh from what i'd learned uh and once again i didn't know anything about ringmastering i was just told bring some sheet music you're going to be asked yeah. to sing a song and you know that wasn't that wasn't a shock to me because i I'd done musical theater. So sure, sure. singing was, yeah, but, but great question. No ringmasters had uh, in times past. And as far as I can remember, um, were required to have a relatively decent singing voice. Okay. Mm-hmm. What room, what, what size room did they audition you in? Was it just a normal audition room? Was it just a, a blank rehearsal studio or was it, did they actually put you on a stage and kind of see your, stage presence in a bigger space it was uh it was a room um it was just a normal conference room (laughs) conference size size room yeah and uh there was there was a panel of about 30 people and uh you know a a table of about 30 people 30 people uh, wow yeah people why who are all these people Well, well ringling brothers Ringling Brothers is an incredible machine. Ringling Brothers, and I think I think you and I had uh, spoken about this. Ringling Brothers had had been responsible in the past for for assisting the the military in writing their standard operating procedures when it comes to to packing, loading in, and loading out equipment because of how how huge 
Ringling Brothers is and how efficient their system is. So I'm saying that to say Ringling Brothers, because it is such a machine, it has so many people that that work behind the scenes to ensure that uh, that this show is the best possible show that it can be. And so some of the people that were there, you had I know from uh, from from later having gotten the job and being introduced to some of the people that I recognize, I had costume designers there that wanted to see my body. They, uh, after I auditioned, they said, they, they got together and said, do we, do you think we can fit this guy pretty easily? Yes. You had costume designers there. You had uh, music, uh, the music director there. You had Kenneth Feld who owns monster trucks. He owns Ringling brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus, the doodle bops, Marvel, so um, he and his his family, his daughters were there. Um, so you had everyone there, everyone that was a part of what they call the white model. Um, the white model is before they actually uh, audition for the show, they will do a, a white model version of the show and they will actually have someone construct out of toothpicks the, the tent, the what the ringmaster is going to look like. And, and they have this, this huge model of, of the show and how everything is going to come in. And so you had, it's those a sand table. There. It's a sand so, table exercise. Exactly. It is Holy exactly shit. That. Holy shit. Wow. That wow. Exactly that. It is incredible. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how, how extensive that process was until actually getting, getting hired and, and going back backstage to see, uh, everything that was involved in making that production what it what it what it is it, well, it's it's truly a marvel. I, I can't imagine, and I also am amazed that I mean, I guess not amazed. That's not the right word, but um, I'm I've got questions about the fact that they immediately went to a room, took you in there, and worked out the contract. Did you have any yes. left right limits? Did you I mean, you've never even seen a circus before at this point? You're coming from your your jet lag or whatever. You know you've been on the road, getting down there. You're coming out of a musical. Did you even know what acceptable terms would be? I mean, how did how could you negotiate that? I didn't. I didn't have a point of reference uh, regarding the circus. If if I had known beforehand, I would have negotiated more, much more money. <laughs> sure, I'm sure, of course. And the right. reason I said that is because I. And by the way, I drove to Florida. I, I literally left my job that morning and drove to Florida, which is about a five hour drive. Yeah. Uh, five or six hour drive. Um, as the ringmaster, if I had known that I would be performing 450 shows in 365 days, wow. I would have. No, I had a really good contract. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, looking back on it retrospectively, I would have, I would have negotiated. You know, much more in my contract. What was the length? But of course, what, I didn't, what was the length of the contract? Uh, it was a two-year contract. Okay, because I mean, term. having given up your job, like that's kind of important, right? To go, hey, how long am I going to be employed? I mean, awesome, I'm a ringmaster, right. but is that for like two weeks, or am I doing this for a while? Right? I mean, did you know two it was going to be a long-term gig? Uh, not until uh, not until I was across the table from the the negotiator, wow. Tim Holst. I didn't realize it was going to be a two-year stint, and I didn't realize to the extent that the ringmaster was going to be used. Um, I had a wife, so I was literally on the road for 
you know, for two years. But uh, fortunately for me, my wife, uh, she's a business owner, and I was able to fly she and my uh, my daughter out. My daughter, before she was the age of, of three, had flown to, to every state in, in the United States. Wow. Because they would come out and see me every, every, every week or every two weeks. And, and how, um, how long were you at each stop? How long does the circus pause in each location? Good question. Um, usually New York City is, is our, our hard opening. And, um, and we would be there for about two to three weeks. But most cities, and, and such is the same with the West Coast. Those are our largest venues. Okay. But uh, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast and hitting just about every, every state, we would be in an area no more than a week. A, a week. Uh, and are you are you bus and trucking it, or how are you getting around? Or are you moving from location to location? The longest train in the world, literally. Uh, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus has a train that's over a mile long. It's a dedicated and train. It's just their train. It's a dedicated train. Holy and crap! And every every performer. All of our rigging, everything gets loaded very efficiently, I might add, onto these trains, even our animals. It is like Noah's Ark. Oh my our Lord. elephants, our, our lions, our tigers, our bears, everything gets loaded on the train. And even our vehicles, the vehicles, um, in my, my second tour, I negotiated having my vehicle you know, transported. But most times I would just have someone to drive from city to city as I would take the train. I, and uh, it, it is one of the most amazing. I don't know if you've ever been on a, on a train before. Sure. But I mean, not like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, to fall asleep on the train, it, it, it is it is just amazing. It just it's just a gentle rock. Yeah. And I would I would wake up some mornings, Chris, and uh, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning and I would walk out of my my train car and and stand on the in the in the vestibule area but you know before the area in between train cars right, right. which would be exposed to the elements and I, and I would just stand there and just look at the mountains and and look at the uh, the, the moon it's just amazing you know it's incredible traveling you know across the United States on, on a train is just, just it's incredible was was this a was that your de facto hotel as well, or did they put you up once you were in town? That was my de facto hotel. Wow. That was where I lived. I these train the trains were literally equipped with it was a little apartment. I had stove, microwave, oven, bed, shower. I mean, it was a very it was a relatively small room, you know, like a regular size room. But um you know, some of the some of the performers uh, had larger spaces contingent upon whether or not they were a troupe. Like uh, our 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 acrobats from China, they would have a larger dedicated space because they would all have to share that space. But uh, no, that was that was that was where I lived. After after the show, we would get on our the circus bus, and the bus would transport us from the arena back to where the train. The train was parked in the train yard. So my my only comparable experience was was doing a national tour 
20 plus years ago and but that was a bus and truck tour um not not as nice and we had to get dropped off at hotels but i know what you mean about seeing america while you're doing a show and going from state to state i i can imagine i can see that as a highlight i can see how incredible that must have been but drawing on my own experience i got to ask what was it like to suddenly be sharing this space on a regular basis with circus folk, not having come from the circus, not having been around them. You know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, civilians and by civilians, I mean, non-performers don't think about the fact that you're living cheek by jowl with everyone that's in the show all the time for, right. in this case, two years. how did you find that? How, how, how did that strike you? Did it work for you? Did it, were there some depressing moments it, or how did that work out? Completely changed my life, even to this day. And I, I left Ringling Brothers in 2008, 2009. How has it changed my life? Well, number one, because of my, my career in the military, I'd always, I'd always learned and it been, been reinforced everyone's green in the military. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you learn, you learn to, you know, you learn to, to rely on your brother, whoever's in the foxhole with you. It doesn't matter who, who they are, where they're from. That's your brother. He's going to save your life and you're going to, you're going to be required to save his. So fortunately for me, I went into this, this new world with that mindset. And I'm sure. glad that I did because um, by virtue of my being the ringmaster, I had no idea what the ringmaster did, but but the, my coworkers now, who were, who were generational circus performers, you know, who had this idea of what the circus was, they in their own minds had had established and 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 put the position of a ringmaster on a pedestal because the ringmaster runs the show. So I'm saying that to say. People treated me people respected me it was almost unnerving how how they huh. treated me and 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 it was unnerving to me because i you know I'm not used to being treated the way that people were respecting me, but I had to humble myself because i i I come from humble beginnings and then the military teaches me, you know, or taught mm -hmm. me that hey, everyone's the same. So when I was able to go to people, the, my Chinese, the Chinese guys who spoke very little English and I would go and, and I would hug them and they, and they understood that I was a person. I wasn't a ringmaster, but I was a real person. It, it allowed for this, this camaraderie and what, what we know in the military to be the, the esprit de corps. Mm -hmm. where where it was just a huge family and even even to this day i i'm i cook my wife loves that i cook because on on one day i'll cook chinese food food mm -hmm. that i learned from my my chinese brothers in the circus or i'll cook brazilian you know pound casual I'll, I'll cook i it, i just my experience with these people completely changed my life and what i learned was that you know no matter where where we go there we are mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where you're from 
we are all the same. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me to see that and for me to experience that. And I can tell you beyond a doubt that there's not one place on this planet that I can't go where I will have a friend. I can mm. go, I can go to Russia right now and call up my Russian brothers and say, Hey, I need a place to, to, to stay for a week mm. and I'll have it. Every, every place, every, everywhere on the globe, I can do that just by virtue of, of having spent that time with, with performers from all over the world. And, and it, it's just, it completely changed my life. I, I, I love my wife tells me now, she says, you know what? You don't, you don't meet a stranger. And I said, you're right. I, I talk, I engage everyone. And it is just giving me such a huge love for people. That I, is, don't, I don't want that to sound cliche or plastic, no, no, no. But it's, it's true. Well, and, and, and I'm starting to get a picture of that also based on what it seems like are the implied duties and obligations of being a ringmaster. Because if I'm hearing this right, and correct me if I'm, if I'm off base here, it seems like there is a hierarchy in the circus. And there's kind of an assumed hierarchy where the ringmaster, I mean, yeah, you're the ringmaster in the show, but there's, you're kind of, that's how you sort of act and not in a bad way. But just there's there's kind of um, you know a uh, 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 it, it's kind of like being the quarterback of the football team like oh you're the quarterback exactly right. right like there's an That's implied correct. obligation and traditionally the ringmaster did much more than just host the show the ringmaster he he took care of all of the logistics as well I mean he literally ran the show owned the show purchased the show purchased the performers uh, so he took care of everything. You know, with with the smaller with the smaller circuses and yeah, times past. Yeah. So, so it's that it's out of that respect that people would revere my position as the ringmaster. Gotcha. But um, and then sorry, just, just to say, them yeah, coming from sure. generations of circus folk, that was kind of yes. baked in their DNA, right? Like, that's, oh, that's your ringmaster. That's, that's where I'm taking my all my orders are coming from that tower right there. That is correct. That is yeah. correct. And and you're talking about people who've had, uh, you know, great grandparents performing in Ringling Brothers, 1800s, you know, so and the generational seventh generational, eighth generational circus performers. My good friend Nick Walenda comes from uh, no, yeah. Nick Walenda is the, the guy that yeah. walked across the Grand Canyon. Sure. Yeah, he's a, he's a, I think he's a seventh generational circus performer as well. The, and um, the circus, I mean. Did you, as somebody that had never been to the circus before you got hired, did you, what was the learning curve like to learn the history of the circus? And how did you learn the history of the circus? Because I feel like that's implied if you're going to be the ringmaster that you kind of know the grand history of circus, right? And there's still so much to learn <laughs> because there's so many, there's so many layers, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, the history of the circus. So I have to be honest and say that, yeah, there is a part of the history that was that's that's important for me to know, but um, but not so much as it was important for me to know and to um, to be able to speak to the the circus as as it existed today or as it mm. exists today. Um, and I, I say that by virtue of the fact that uh, that as I was as I told you before, 
uh, performing. Not only did the ringmaster perform or did the, sh- the show happen, we performed 450 shows in 365 days. But in between those, those, those shows, those show dates, when we were traveling from one city to, the, to another, I would have to fly out before the show and do interviews, you know, with, with, uh, you know, good morning America and, and, and such. And so usually the they were, You're the face of the I was service. the face and the voice wow. of the show. So wow. I had very little downtime, but, but much of what I needed to know was to be able to communicate what was going on in the show, you know, oh, uh, what yeah. people were going to expect to see. And then, and to, to be able to speak to the different performers that we had, you know, in the show for that moment, but there, there, there was a learning curve and there still is. I mean, I still learn today. I'm still learning in much, uh, much of the, the circus's history, uh, even now and, and how that's uh, completely changed my life. As you, as you grew more comfortable as a ringmaster, and I'm going to go back to when you first started in a, in a little bit, but I do have to ask, as you started to learn more and more, did you take a hand in building the shows? Because it seems like there's a sense of ownership when you're the ringmaster. Like it, 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 you're the face of it. You're the voice of it. How much are you involved in the creative process of building a show? Not as much in the um, in the beginning when I when I first joined. There was, uh, in fact, I had I had a couple of run-ins with the director. <laughs> because, really? Yeah, yeah. Because the the expectation. Um, the expectation was for me to to settle into to um, becoming the ringmaster of old, the the ring you know the way that had been done in the past, and I had to just stand my ground and tell you know the director said, listen, you didn't hire me to be like the ringmasters two hundred years ago. You're wanting me to watch videos. And I'm not going to do that because, because I believe that I have something pivotal and something something valuable to bring to this position as ringmaster. What, what does that look like? That. What does that look like? So so like it, yeah. What did that What did that mean? In my mind, in my mind, and this was a point of contention for the director because uh, it, it, he wanted me to be the 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 barker the 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 type of person that you would see on you know on the boardwalk saying step right up step right uh, up come in and see the beer and I'm like that's not who I am yeah and 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 fortunately for me you know I've done enough acting gigs to know that that when I audition for a character I'm I I become that character by virtue of putting myself in that character so. It's me who becomes the character. I'm not necessarily playing the character. I realize that I yeah, have something yeah. interesting to watch. And if I can marry those two, then I, it, become, it becomes interesting. And so that's kind of how I took the, the role of ringmastering. And so to get back to your question, when they started to relax and allow for me to be me, they realized that they liked it. And I was, I became one of the, one of the like first dancing, singing ringmasters, Ringling Brothers had, you know, because I was very physical with my, with my movements and they loved it. And uh, so by virtue of, of me holding to my, my, my guns, 
I did have some creative control later on, you know, in the, in the second tour, you know, they, they, they relied on me a, a little, a little more heavily to say, Hey, Ty, you know, how do you want this to be? And the, and the music even changed. The music became a little more R and B ish kind of, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah. So I started to appeal to, I know that my appeal, um, I was able to tap into a market that Ringling had not necessarily seen before. Um, and, uh, and, and they started to gravitate towards, you know, appealing to that market as well. And when I say that market, I yeah. mean, I mean, you know, you had more African-American men and women coming to the show. You had more Latino women and men coming to the show, you know, and, and music changed and it, it, it just became more energetic. And I'm, that is not to say that it was never energetic. It was just in a different way. It was a different, a different spin that I was able to put, you know, and bring to the show. Circus, to my knowledge, has always had a strong international component. You talked about the fact you can go to any country and you'll have a friend there. Has that is that true? Has that always been the case? That's my perception of it. That, like, you know, if it's the eighteen nineties, you're going to have Chinese acrobats. You're going to have a Russian wrestling a bear. Like, I, I don't. But you know, this is me from watching. You know wild wild west or something like you know i'm I'm not really basing this on a whole lot is, is that uh-huh. accurate the international flair that have, circus seems to always have sure i have to say that that is accurate but i also have to say that that's changing and i'm going to say i'm going to speak to your i'm going to speak to the first statement why do i believe it's accurate because when when you speak when you speak to generational circus performers like the walendas and the patriarch of the family, Carl Walenda, who who invented, I would say, if, if I have to say invented, I would say invented wire walking. Mm-hmm. Then what you have is you have a family that uh, that has their lineage in in Germany and 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 different different parts of the world that would that would become the the uh, the ultra successful professionals when it comes to that act. And that yeah. act was was invented by their family, and so they keep it in the family. And so you will f- usually find wire walker walkers that will come from that part of the world. Such is the same with our Chinese acrobats. Their discipline is amazing. Their 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 training is incredible. I would rem- I remember waking up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning sometimes, and I would see the the Chinese out doing. Uh, if if you can if you can imagine this a wooden box uh, you know about the size of a of a, a hat box it was one little chinese girl she was she was an acrobat but she was doing she would go down on one hand her body completely um, resting on on her elbow yeah. and her hand is on this box and she would push up into a handstand one hand wow. and her trainer had her doing that and this is three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So the discipline is much, much different than what I had, what I had observed here in the United States. So traditionally, our acrobats would come from China, and 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 it was it was that way. So um, I don't know if that's making sense to you. It it would it would kind of be where Ringling Ringling knew to go and get its acrobats from China. Well, they knew to go and yeah. get their wire, wire walkers from. It's interesting because it's it's almost like there's a self-selection 
that certain regions are going to produce a certain kind of circus performer. That is correct. Right. Yes. And I, and I guess, so, I mean, I'm going to ask you questions that you may or may not be able to answer, but I'll, I'll throw it out there because I don't know anyone else that could answer this better. If, um, how much is there kind of an institutional knowledge that wants to be withheld? Like for example, the Walendas, they're like, look, this is our bread and butter. This is our brand. I don't necessarily want a lot of competition. I want us to be the ones that do this. I'm not really in the business to teach other people. This, this is what we do. Is that, is that true or, or is there kind of a, um, or is it more uh, a a sense of, no, we want to, we want to inspire everybody to go start doing this and, and try to do it. Like, is there is there some sort of um, ulterior motive or uh, ulterior generosity of spirit, or is it a sense of no? I'm a professional, and yeah, if you want to knock yourself out and put in 16 hours a day doing this, then God bless. But good luck. This, my family's been at this for seven generations, and this is how we make our living. So just try to keep up with us. Like, wh- where what's the attitude? I think there's a little bit of both when okay. you consider when you consider the 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 success of of families and what these families had been known for, then what they do is they keep that in the family because that's 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 where their money comes from. That's their business. And they do keep it in their families, but they're certainly they're certainly open to to um, to to spreading that 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 knowledge and that and that wealth of knowledge to anyone who wants to 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 come in and 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 learn the uh, the skill of wire walking. As a matter of fact, Nick Nick had asked me to get up on the wire a number of times, and it's just not my my wheelhouse. So I said, "No, you know, you go ahead and you you do that. That's <laughs> not. I'll stay on the ground, you know. But 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 to to also to push back against that with the advent of uh, the internet and the ability of mm. people to 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 pull up you know, videos and see how things have been done in the past. You know, this, people are doing things now that was just unheard of back in the eighties, like taking a skateboard and riding, you know, and and popping a rail on a skateboard and, and parkour, you know, so people are pushing the limits now. And I think that the, uh, the advent of the, the internet and just being exposed to what other people had in other countries had learned and, and had, you know, had done. I think it's just uh, this. The, the world is just an open stage now, where people are learning all kinds yeah. of things. That that makes so much sense to me. I mean, it's almost like martial arts. It's like, well, exactly. you don't just have to live in China to do kung fu anymore, right? It's like internet's kind of changed all that. Um, I want to ask this devoid of the context of 2023 because I don't, I, I don't mean for it to be a, a um. It's not, I'm not trying to ask this in a divisive way, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Does the circus lose some allure if everybody that you're seeing in the circus is American and you're like, oh, yeah, got it. Uh, I mean, that kid is from Kansas. And great. I'm glad he has that skill set. But there's, but there's a sense of the exotic, I feel like, with the circus where you want to see people from all over the world because you want something that's if not indigenous to that part of the world, you want to see it, there's, there's a showmanship aspect. I feel like to just having an international smorgasbord of talent in front of you. Um, that's kind of taken away. If you're looking like, Oh, well I'm on the, this just looks like everybody I'm on the subway with every day. I, is correct. there something to that? I mean, and, and I mean, it's, 
it's kind of a weird question, but it, it circus is just such a strange animal. I feel like that's a major part of the show is being plunged into a foreign world. And the less foreign it is, and the more familiar it is, the more that takes away from the circus. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. It makes plenty of sense. In fact, that was, uh, that was one of the things that, um, that I would, I would make certain to, to, uh, allow for our audience members to, to pay close attention to and to, and to be mindful of the fact that we have performers from all over the world. And that does, that does, that it adds to the appeal, certainly. Um, and, and, and we, it, it, it adds to the appeal by virtue of, of people just being different, mm-hmm. you know, culturally different. And it, and it gives people the, the opportunity to be exposed to different cultures and different, different ways of, 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 of having people do things that they may not have ever been exposed to otherwise. I, who, an example would be, and not to, not to digress or not to, not to divert, but part of the, uh, the appeal for many people, at least by virtue of, of them, they're coming to me and saying, Hey, we come here to see the elephants because where mm-hmm. else, where else will, will a person have an opportunity to get up close and personal with an elephant other than a zoo and even then, your 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 ability to get close to them is going to be limited. So, yeah, um, that makes total then, sense. Yeah, yeah. And then our elephants come from Asia, you know. So it's just this this appeal. And Ringling was able to to tap into and to market this this grandiose appeal um, by virtue of our performers being from all over the world, and yeah, and it, it it made it magical for for uh, for many people. What turns <laughs> this guy? Word question. What turns a circus on? What turns you on as a circus performer? And what what do you think, with all your experience, the circus exists to do? Is it? Uh, it I mean, I'm thinking like there's a difference between an actor doing the crucible and and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm doing the crucible on stage, and I really feel the message of this," versus uh, doing like Mel Brooks, the producers, you know, like, uh, this is just pure delight and enjoyment. I mean, what is a circus's payoff for the performers? What gets them off? What is the appeal of it to them? Do you think? Hmm. I, I can, I can speak from, from my perspective. Sure. Now, if I, if I were a performer, I would probably say just being able to, to continue to do something that I'm very passionate about. Um, an example, once again, would be Nick Willenda. Nick, Nick Willenda uh, says, you know, if he dies, he wants to die walking on the wire. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, if, yeah. if that's the way he's going to go, he wants to go that way. So for, for many of these performers, this is what they're passionate about. And for me, um, just, just being able to rub elbows with some of the most incredible people on the planet, I literally, my coworkers are literally superheroes. I mean, we can have, when you see some of the stuff that these people are able to do, it's incredible. And so it's just, to me, it, it, it just, it adds to the fact that, that humans, people are really incredible creatures Mm -hmm. when we can, when we can really put our minds to, to, to doing something and, and dedicating, dedicating ourselves to that craft. It just it just uh, allows for me to to realize how wonderful this this world is, and 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 how wonderful it is to 
to be able to have a, a small portion of that world. Yeah. Yeah. To be brought into an arena where, where you can have a, a little piece of, of China, Brazil, and Russia, mm. and, and, mm. and, and, and Africa, and, and all of that stuff happening right here in this little spot for this moment in time. And it's like, uh, it's like a snow globe, you know, yeah. having all of these performers in a, in a snow globe for, for a brief moment in, in time where people will have an opportunity to, uh, to experience that. What do you consider yourself, Ty? Are you an actor still? Are you a ringmaster first? What, how would you identify yourself? You know, Chris, I, as, as I'm growing to, to, to know myself, I identify, I identify myself as myself. Now, I am, I cannot say, you know, where I cannot say that I am, a ringmaster as much as I can say I'm Ty who can step in into that, that place to be a ringmaster. So what I'm learning is really the acceptance of myself is where the appeal is for mm. people. Mm. Um, I'm going to give you a funny story and I'm, and, and it's going to kind of add to, to what I'm saying. So um, one of the shows that I was doing, there's a, there's a, a, a contraption. It's, it's a little mechanical mechanical box that I can, it has steps on it. It's about six feet high, five feet high. And I can, I can step onto it. And there's actually a man on the inside and it, it, it kind of looks like um, R2D2. I, I know. I don't remember. I don't, which one was the little, the little box, the yeah. little trash can. Which, is yeah. that R2D2? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kind of looks like him, but I could stand on top of it. Okay. And, uh, and there's a man on the inside and he, he rides around. So it's just a mechanical device that allowed for me to, to, to travel the circus floor. And, uh, and, and I couldn't understand why every time I would pass my, my dancers, they were just cracking up laughing. <laughs> Everyone, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> well, my, my star clown, his name is Bellow Knock. I don't know if you're. Yeah, you're Bellow. With Bellow. Sure. Yeah, yeah Bellow. Yeah. Bello climbed up, climbed up the, uh, the, the little, the little thing that I was on and he spun me around. Turns out that I split my pants from the crotch all the way to my waistband in the back. And I was ass out. <laughs> and so when he turned me around and the audience saw, of course I had on boxers, but the audience yeah. saw, they laughed and it, it was, it was a pivotal moment for me. It allowed for me where I thought I would be embarrassed. I realized that people want real. People love to be able to identify with realness. And that's why I say I will always be true to who I am and not necessarily uh, true to a character mm-hmm. because people can identify with that. And, and they like that. They love when I make mistakes. You know, I might, I might bite my tongue and they love it. And I just, it just allows for me to be, to settle into myself and to, and to be true to myself. So, um, I, I don't know if that's answering your question. It is. It, no, it totally answers it. And I, okay. and I love that you took a long way getting there. Cause that's a, that's an incredible story. And I, and that adds so much dimension to it. Um, but let me ask this in a different way. Would you take a musical theater role if it was offered to you? Absolutely. So you take anything. Yeah. It just depends. You go where the, where the action is. I go where the action is and I go where my heart is. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's, I, I, I love performing and, uh, and I'll do what it takes. 
you know, but uh, there is there's a part of me. There are certain lines that I won't cross just by virtue of who I am, certain things that I, you know, that I won't do. Um, what? I, I won't I won't sacrifice my my morals for mm-hmm. a position. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to. And, and this is this has nothing to do with with what other people may choose to do. But I won't take a role where where I, you know, be asked to, to do something that I that I um, that, that that I'm just against morally, you know, so. Uh, I'm just thinking of of the most extreme example I can think of. So I I just have to ask, would you play Othello if it was offered to you? Being that you have to strangle Desdemona? Yes. (laughs) It is Othello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I probably would. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, yeah, it's a good, yeah. Right. It's, It's certainly not an exploitive role where it's like, you know, you're degrading yourself necessarily by doing it. it is showing that's that's something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ty, I can't let you go without without diving a little bit into the military side of things. Um, so and thank you for being generous with your time. But I I I, I really gotta I I do want to get at this because as I tend to do, I did not start this in chronological order, and I'm paying the price for it now. So, um, your dad was in, was a career army guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And sisters as well. Sisters as well. Did you grow up on bases then your whole life, or had he settled at that point? He settled at that point, and okay. um, yeah, we I, we did travel. We did travel quite a bit, but but by the time I was born, my father um, he, he he had gotten out of the military and um, and uh, was one of the first African American state troopers. Uh, in the seventies here in South Carolina. So wow. uh, he went into law enforcement. Yeah. What was it like growing up in that house? Um, growing up in the house of uh, an army, a career army guy and, you know, a state trooper. I mean, with all mm-hmm. that implies with all the tension of seeing him go out the door and all that, what, what did that, what, what were the, the pros and cons of that in your experience? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see him go because when my father would cut my butt, my father was a disciplinarian, I tell you, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Um, structure, yeah. My father he pulled me to the side one day and he said, "Hey," he said, "What do you want to do with your life?" I said, "Well, I want to go to college." He said, "How do you plan to pay for it?" Hmm. So you know, my father was he was he was straight laced, very honorable guy. Um, you know, and, and I'm really thankful for the discipline, you know, he would, he would make me get up, you know, and, and, um, early in the morning and, and, and work, you know, uh, so I was, I joined the military when I was 16, as a matter of fact, but I didn't get sworn in until I was 18. So my father was very structured, uh, I'm very thankful for for my discipline and uh, and and my upbringing. Did he want you to join the military? Was he in favor? Yes. Was he pushing you to do it? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was. He 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 did all things military. All things military. Love the did, military. Even. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. 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 You're good. No. No. Um. I I was going to ask though. Did you? want to follow in his footsteps did you see an appeal in following his footsteps or was that kind of all you knew 
that point? That was all I knew. And in fact, you know, in fact, my decision to uh, to separate from the military, um, he we fought. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and get out of the military because I want to do some things that I want to do with my life. And he 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 didn't like that at all. But but, you know, once again, I am thankful because uh, he he allowed for me to make decisions when that were better for me when I when I didn't know that they would probably be. So I'm very thankful for the fact that uh, that he steered me in the direction of of going into the military. But I'm also thankful that, you know, as I became a man, you know, I um, I I learned enough from him to know what it meant to be a man and to know what it meant to stand my ground. And so mm. even even at uh, even at his, you know, his uh, his contention with my choosing to get out, I, um, I, I stood my ground and he finally acquiesced and, and realized that it was what I was going to do. And then when I later came back and, and showed him the, uh, the article where I'd become the ringmaster for Ringling Brothers, mm-hmm. he was equally proud. Was he? So, yeah. And yeah. And then I lost him in 2013, but, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's a great. I, he's a good man. He is a good man. Was he the, the dominant presence in the house? Was it his rules? Was it, was that the kind of house it was? Yes. Um, but he was very, uh, respectful of, of my, my mother being the help meet as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So when, when he was on base, when he was at home, you know, it was the way he expected for things to, to be. And when he, when he was not there, then his Lieutenant, my mom would, mm-hmm. would, would step in and, and, and make things happen. So uh, I'm very thankful for my, for the structure of my family. That's a, yeah, no, there's, there's no, no substitute for that. There's, yeah, I, I completely, um, I think that's a true privilege to have such a good unified parenting, um, situation to grow up in, but I want to ask you how you've seen that play out now the rest of your life. So as a performer, um, what has it meant for you to have had you know, certainly the discipline and all that, um, and certainly the posture and the poise and all that certainly helped you in the audition. But what what has it meant to have that as your background? Because that is such a radically different background, certainly than so many of the circus folk you're around, but even in general in the performing arts, that's a very different background to come from. So what has that meant? What have has there been a learning curve? Has it been like trying to catch up and make up for lost time, the things you weren't exposed to earlier? Or has it helped you and has the advantage been significant coming from that background? I think the I think it's been uh I've had an advantage. I, I remember reading um I was in the third grade, I remember reading a um, a sign that my teacher had in the room. Discipline is the training which makes punishment unnecessary. And I, I am just so thankful for for the discipline and and the background that I've had because it's helped me immensely, uh, especially with the the rigors of of being a ringmaster and all that it it entails. So, um, I, I'm I'm going to totally I, speculate. Sorry, I'm going to totally speculate okay. for no, one second. No, 
When you say you do 450 shows in 365 days, mm-hmm. there's not really a lot of time for complaining. <laughs> right? I mean, the military has to help with that in some way, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot of time for complaining. You got to get up and go. And that's literal. Oh, that's yeah. literal. 450 yeah. shows. That, that, that's, that's insane. That, 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 no, I, 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 believe, I totally believe you. And that sounds as grueling as it can get. Um, what did you do in the Army? What was your job? I was. Uh, I started off as a, a sixty-three whiskey, which uh, which was a light wheel mechanic. And then um, after getting my commission, I went through a military academy to get my commission. I ended up um, going into an ordnance unit. So How'd you like it? And explosives. I liked. I liked. It much I, I like the military much better now that I'm looking back over it, uh, looking back onto it. I mean, the the grind, the the getting up at four o'clock in the morning and running five miles, six miles before breakfast, and and it was tough. You know, it was tough. And I can't. I have to say that it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily my choosing, but it was something that that I knew to be. Uh, I, I, I was what I knew because my father, you know, and, and instilled that in us. But um, but once again, I am I am fortunate to have experienced it. And I think every young man should have some experience with the disciplines um, afforded by by the structure of a military or something, something akin to, to the military. So I'm, I'm very thankful for it. I'm going to ask you a I question. Do- I've got to ask you a question. There's no way that you can answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Who would you be and what would you be doing if you hadn't done that? Would anything be different? I, you know, I that I can't answer that. I cannot say. Um, I, I can only say that I would, uh, I, I'd hope to be, I would have hoped to have been the same person that I am now. And that's by virtue of... <clears throat> By a virtue of someone who goes after his his heart, goes after what it is that he wants, and and I can only say that I I am who I am because of you know yeah. everything that I just decided to go after. So yeah, it's hard to know I, what I, if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think it is. Um, Ty, this is uh, this has been incredible. I, I I've enjoyed the shit out of this. Thank you so much. <laughs> For sitting down talking. Listen, if people want to follow you, want to know what you're up to, is there some place they should go? Is there something they should do just to keep tabs on you or hear about what you're doing? Wow, that's a really, really tough question, um, Chris. And the reason I say that is because I'm I'm not very keen on on um, on the social media platforms. Yeah, you don't want to be stopped on the street. Yeah, I know. I well, know. Yeah. <laughs> not just that. Not just that. I have my issues with, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, that are happening with these with these platforms that I'm yeah. not really, yeah, I'm not really happy about. But um, for the most part, you know, a person can 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 just Google me and 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 see what I'm in into next. Uh, the next the next gig that I will be doing is going to be. Um, it's going to be, uh, believe it or not, it's going to be a show for the Shriners uh, in um, in November, and I think that's going to be in Arizona, I believe. Oh wow! All right. So, uh, yeah, I wish I could give you more than that, but I, I unfortunately, I don't do the Instagram, I don't do Facebook. Yeah, it's kind of it's, boring when it comes to that. 
Uh, no, I love it. I love it. It's it's uh there's you're you're a rare beast that doesn't do that. And it's um and I love that you're I love your reasons for doing it. I think probably a lot of people are nodding enviously that you've shied away from it. Um but Ty, I mean obviously the nice thing is you've kind of you don't really have that much to prove. <laughs> so it's nice. You know, people can come find you when they need to. And uh and God knows I'll um I can't wait to work with you at some point in the near future. Um, dude, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you, Chris. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. That was Ty McFarland's profile in Havoc. <sighs> wow. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, I wish I could have gotten to more military law enforcement stuff, family stuff. Um, there's there, I feel like there was so much meat still on that bone for us to chew over with Ty, but I didn't want to impose on him. And I could be wrong. I mean, he, he super nice guy, um, which always is complicated because then I got to read between the etiquette to see if, can I push it a little bit more? Can I go a little bit further? But I really enjoyed talking to him, but I didn't want to take advantage. And, um, and I did enjoy talking circus stuff with him so much. I hope you guys had a blast listening to that as much as I had a blast talking to him about it. Okay. We started off this episode by thanking this episode's first sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. I now want to take a second and thank this episode's other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater, which, as you guys should probably all know by now, is my nonprofit. So, Veterans Repertory Theater. I actually have notes for this. Can you believe it? I, I should really have this all memorized by now, but I don't. So, I'm going to filibuster while I find where the hell my notes are that tell me the exact verbiage of what I should say about vet rep. And I got it. Okay, so... For those keeping score at home, Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. I guess we really don't need talented in there. Talented is kind of implied. I, what we really mean by it is professional veterans because we're not an organization for hobbyists. We're really there for people that are trying to make a living or at least earn money at their art that aren't just doing it as a hobby. And um, there's a ton of stuff going on at VetRep. I won't bore you with all of our different lines of effort right now, but I will encourage you to do one very simple thing that'll allow you to know everything going on at VetRep, when it happens and where you should be and how to get there, et cetera, et cetera. And that is to subscribe for our literary blog, the Savage Wonder Literary Blog, which you can do by going to VetRep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, VetRep.org. Scroll partway down the homepage, you will see the option to subscribe for free to our literary blog. And by doing that, you will get a little piece of veteran writing every day in your email inbox. And then it will be followed by a slew of shameless plugs telling you what we're up to, where we're doing it, how to get tickets, whatever. I highly encourage you to do that. It's well worth it. So many people are enjoying the blog, giving us feedback discovering new veteran writers, uh, you know, enjoying the work of established veteran writers. It's just a great, it's been a great resource and it's been a real um, delight to have you guys join us on that. So if you aren't already subscribed, please do so. Uh, I think you will find it very worth your while. Okay. What other stuff do I have to talk about? Nothing else, I think. So let me thank this episode's producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal. 
See you next time. We will dive further. No. What do I say for profiles and habits? What's my outro for this? Oh, yeah. We <laughs> See you next time for another Profile in Havoc.